You are listening to a podcast from The National. What does the future hold for the big carriers in the UAE, Emirates and Etihad Airways? There's been much speculation the last few days about how the two could possibly work together in the coming months and years and what that could mean for the broader prospects of the UAE aviation industry and this region. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast from the National's newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi. Over the last few days, there's been quite a bit of uh, thrust, shall we say, if you excuse the pun, about the, the, the speculative uh, report on Emirates and Etihad potentially merging at some point. Well, actually, more specifically, um, that uh, Emirates would take over Etihad. It would be more of a buyout. Now, both airlines swiftly denied that there was any kind of plan in place, any kind of talk. But the way uh, the buzz was around it got a lot of people thinking as to, could this be possible? Could it happen? If we take a step back and we think about where the aviation sector has come from over the last 20 years, especially where the Middle East is concerned, there's been a lot of shifts. First of all, we're in a little bit of a soft period the last few years, particularly in the in the wake of oil prices being lower and spending being lower in general, a bit of turbulence politically and conflicts in the region has taken some of the shine off demand Capacity has built up in this region as well. More carriers, more airports. So suppliers outstrip demand. More broadly, technology has changed. So 10, 15 years ago, the hub model using big Airbus A380s to ferry people from one side of the world to the other via hubs like the UAE, that was very much the cutting edge of the industry. Now it's about smaller planes that can fly further, more efficiently, and more cheaply point to point, not necessarily needing a hub. That's been happening with across the Atlantic. Carriers like Norwegian Air have been pioneering this, but also it's having an impact on the sort of longer haul markets like from Australia to Europe. And this is, again, putting both uh, models of Emirates and Etihad under pressure. More broadly, we're thinking, what does the future hold for both of these airlines? We know from our reporting that Etihad's been going under a review lately, and we're still waiting to see essentially what the identity of the airline is going to be going forward. But Emirates also has that question mark. What's a succession there for that carrier? Unlike Etihad, it doesn't have a board of directors. Up top, very flat, run by uh, Tim Clark, um, the senior leadership of Dubai. Um, th- and they've stuck to their guns, if you like, with the, with the hub model. But then there's been a lot of question marks over whether they would double down on these A380s with Airbus. They've committed to that future. But at the same time, it's going to be hard for them to ignore the realities of what other airlines are doing. So both of them really need to put a plan out there in the next few years. And it's not urgent. And what's interesting is about the speculation over the report of, of what might happen between these two is that probably people realize that at some point in the future, it's a good idea. But whether the, an actual deal could happen, given the differences in cultures in both of these organizations, where they are in terms of their history, the difference of their scales, and what what they've set out to do, I think realistically we'll realize that a proper deal is unlikely. But let's not forget that in the past year, Etihad and Emirates have already committed to cooperate in a number of areas. And that's already the beginning of them doing more together and realizing that they can uh, achieve uh, better efficiencies and savings as a result. So I think 
just that people are excited about this um, and are talking about it speaks a lot about where we are in terms of the aviation industry in the Middle East and North Africa at the moment, and also shows that things are changing. And it's very much a result of the last few years rather than anything new that has happened. Plus, you can't uh, blame people for getting excited because we've had quite a few deals in the UAE in the last few years, particularly in the Abu Dhabi corporate scene. So the, naturally, it, it, to extend that narrative uh, is something that people might say is going to happen. But I think we're a very long way away from an actual realization of some kind of official uh, corporate deal such as has been mooted in the last few days. Um I'm Mustafa Rawi. You're listening to The Business Extra. Also this week, Karma Gurang, one of our multimedia producers, went down to the desert in Abu Dhabi, covering a very interesting story. Uh, when the Chinese president, uh, Xi Jinping, came to the UAE in July, a number of deals were struck. One of them between the Chinese national oil producer and Abu Dhabi's national oil producer, Adnok, was about a landmark seismic survey in Abu Dhabi to scope out the hydrocarbon assets that are currently there under the ground that have yet to be extracted. And the idea was to put 5.8 billion dirhams into this project that will take several years to ensure that these resources are extracted the most efficient way, the safest way, and the best way for ensuring the prosperity of the UAE and the success of ADNOC, as well as being very important for the broader energy industry in the UAE and the Middle East, but Chinese and UAE relations as well as part of that. They're going to be working together on this important project. Here's Karma now. Karma, uh, you went out this week uh, into the wide expanse of Abu Dhabi's deserts uh, Mm -hmm. to go and shoot a story about a huge seismic survey, quite a landmark one that ADNOC, the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, has been undertaking. So first of all, where did you go exactly? So I embarked on a very long journey, woke up at 5.30 a.m., set out with a few guys from Adnoc, and uh, the desert was actually near Al Ain, in the Alcoa Desert area. Um, we went in a car and then had to go in a 4x4 truck to go into the desert. Um, it was a lot of dune bashing because the sites were really in the desert. Like, it was a beautiful remote. location. Yeah, very remote. it was remote. Like. It was where the like you saw people who were actually like you know camel herders and Bedouin people like living on the site. Um, it was that far off. And the, what was the purpose? I mean, because Adnoc has announced um, you know this sort of historically large seismic survey. Um, but what did they explain to you was the purpose of of why this crew was going out to do this particular uh, project? I got a chance to speak to one of the engineers, Abdullah, who is an Emirati and who is on site with us. And um, he was talking to us about Adnoc's 2030 strategy and how they're really trying to explore unconventional ways to um, extract oil and other hydrocarbon reserves that lie under Abu Dhabi's um, ground surface. Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, this is about the prosperity of of the, of the nation, about ensuring that all the resources are uh, used efficiently, and, and it's part of Adnoc's, as you said, their strategy, their transformation, becoming a more efficient. Um, organization, a more efficient um, and profitable uh, company. Uh, But at the same time, I think for most people, they hear seismic survey, they might think earthquakes, Mm -hmm. right? They might might think, you know, very technical. But from your experience, what did you see? So it's actually a three-step process. So we first went out to a site where a lot of these crew members who were actually a mix of Chinese and Emirati um, engineers, which is very interesting because it's a collaboration between between the Chinese um, National Oil Company and uh, ADNOC. 
Um, and so first what happens is we, they lay these geophone cables out in the desert um, and th that's done manually. And these geophone cables uh, act as receivers for the signals that sent out from the vibration site, the trucks. And so these vibration trucks send out these signals down into the surface. And when we were out there, you could actually feel the ground vibrating like really loudly. And, you know, you almost want to like take um, refuge in the ground. Um, uh, so after these signals are sent, the geophones actually capture these signals. Um, and these signals are then sent from cables into a recording truck where two engineers or observers actually um, sit there and record all this data. And the data is there collected from there and then taken to the headquarters um, down in Abu Dhabi um, for more processing. And, and so they analyze all this information they get from the ground. Essentially, these sensors are uh, describing to them what's underneath the sand, uh -huh. uh, what's there, oil, gas. So it's said like a other 3D minerals. mapping um, of the structures and the layers that's underneath. And the, it was a long day for you. It was very hot. Um, yeah. How long is the project going to take? Did they give you any sense of, the, of, of, of how long they would have to be out there with the equipment before they've mapped the entire area that they're trying to? So th how the process actually starts is they do these 2D seismic surveys to actually look at which plot areas might be um might have some potential. Um, and then they do these 3D seismic surveys that go like, you know, at a lower depth um, underground. So the site that I went to was Aldafra, and that's almost about to be completed. But um, if you remember earlier in July when President Xi Jinping visited, um, they signed a historic deal of 5.8 Durham billion um, joint collaboration where they're sort of going to do the world's largest seismic survey. Um, and that's about to start now. And it's supposed to be completed in 2024. So almost about six years. So these are like, you know, long-term investments that Adnoc's undertaking. And I, this will keep Adnoc, Abu Dhabi, the UAE in good stead for many, many mm -hmm. years to come. Uh, Karma Gurung, multimedia producer at The National, thanks for sharing that experience. Um, your story, as well as your video that you shot down in the desert, will be on the website, national.ae, yep. in the coming days. So everybody keep an eye out for it. And also, uh, you know, our fuller coverage as always. Thanks so much for being with us, Karma. No worries. Thank you. Uh, staying with the energy sector, um, OPEC met uh, this week in Algiers. It was is very interesting uh, get together for the oil oil exporting nations uh, from this region. Uh, everyone was expecting a response uh, to the U.S. President Donald Trump's uh, Twitter uh, outburst the other day, uh, saying that OPEC must act uh, to get oil prices down. Um, the Saudi Energy Minister Khaled Al Falah said, "You know, I don't influence oil prices." Um, was the response sort of a bit coy um, about uh, the relationship between uh, U.S. shale producers, um, OPEC, Russia? Um, you know, the politics of this thing is, is it continues to absorb us all. Um, the ultimate outcome was that uh, OPEC said there's plenty of spare capacity if we want to increase supply. However, there's no urgent need to do so. W the bigger picture here is that with the expectation of sanctions, US-led sanctions being implemented on Iran, that a lot of supply will come out of the market now. And Analysts have been saying that this could push oil prices from around $80 a barrel now to near 100 And what are the risks of that? That could impact demand, could impact economic growth, which is not good for anyone that is exporting um, oil and oil-related products uh, around here. So there is some kind of urgency at some point um, for uh, producers to act in concert and to add more supply. But I think 
the result of this meeting in OPEC, and this wasn't sort of a full uh, ministerial meeting, this was more of a technical uh, meeting between the organization and their, its members, uh, was to say that we've got this. You know, we can always act if we need to. Uh, we're not particularly overly worried about the situation regarding Iran. The market is stable. Uh, things are going as expected. There are no nasty surprises. But also, probably Trump's tweet uh, made them more cautious than they might have been. Um, you know, he him acting himself to try and create some kind of uh, tension around OPEC would have had them, uh, you know, more reluctant to say that they were going to pull the trigger on anything at the moment. However, let's see what happens between now and the end of the year. Let's see where oil prices go. But everybody be watching. What's really interesting uh, at the moment in terms of the economies in the wider region and the UAE is oil prices are at good levels, really, historically. I mean, not maybe where we were before the, 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 the crash at the peak of 2014, but there's nothing wrong with $80 a barrel plus, uh, particularly given where budgets are. Yet sentiment about economic growth has needed a bit of a push. And people aren't feeling that oil prices are necessarily a guarantee of that kind of increase in activity. On the one hand, that might be a positive that we need more than that these days. Uh, we're diversified. People want to see activity elsewhere beyond oil, but also that governments here are more rational about their spending. Just because the oil price has gone up, they're not about to turn on the taps and go wild. In Abu Dhabi, we've seen this uh, Reden 21, Tomorrow 21 vision, 50 billion dirhams to be spent over the next three years, 20 billion of that next year. So the government is going to spend, but perhaps not at the same levels they might have been spending four or five years ago. But that's more sustainable. Thanks for being with us this week. That's been an episode of The Business Extra. As always, you can catch our fuller coverage at thenational.ae. All that remains to thank our producer, Kevin Jeffers. Please do join us again next week. <laughs>